0: And welcome to Artist Materialist. I'm Susanna, an artist and graphic designer.
1: I'm Dan, a material scientist.
0: And today for episode 28, we are discussing an article from the MIT Technology Review called Why We Can't Quit the QWERTY Keyboard. That's very difficult to say out loud. (laughs) A lot of alliteration there. It's by Rachel Metz. And this is something that I discovered via Slashdot, which I used to read all the time, but lately have not so much. So I was going back to see what was there and came across
1: this article. I've kind of forgotten about Slashdot. I think based on your recommendation, I used to read it, but that was maybe 10 years ago, and I don't—I haven't looked at it in quite a while.
0: Mm-hmm. It used to be my main site, and now Reddit's kind of replaced it. But yeah, the QWERTY keyboard or the standard keyboard is something that I've been interested in, and about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little longer ago, I remember seeing uh, an article about a new invention, it was a new mobile keyboard that was going to be a completely different arrangement of buttons. And this was back, of course, when most people were still texting with their thumbs with Mm -hmm. numbers and letters all on the same thing. This was pre-smartphone days, so it might have been more than 10 years ago. And I was very excited by this new keyboard that was going to blow away the mobile phone market. And then, of course, it never happened. I couldn't even find any articles about it because I don't remember what it was called. (laughs) And this article goes into all the different inventions that other people have come up with to try and replace our standard keyboards and how none of them have managed to do it yet.
1: And and I, even then, I think it only covered about half of the ones that I can remember thinking about. It, it, the one that you were trying to find, is that the one that was like two mini keyboards that were on separate hands?
0: I think that was it. I remember it was sort of, you know, triangular somehow. It, it might have been it. I don't remember exactly. I just remember it was a funny shape, and I thought it was very revolutionary. Maybe that was it. I don't know.
1: Is that, I I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, churn and possibilities that were, people were thinking of right around the time of the iPhone launch. I remember particularly when I went to get, the first time I got a smartphone, I thought about there was one where instead of having the uh, T9, which which this article talks about a bit, where you have the just sort of the phone number kind of texting, this one actually had an e-ink based cover on each button so that it could reconfigure itself to really show you which what each button would represent, which I thought was awesome. And kind of to me seemed a little bit like the inspector gadget computer book. That's so was pretty very, cool. <laughs> yeah. I was very tempted by that, but I think I ended up going with a, it wasn't quite a smartphone, but it, it still had a touch screen and I called it my training smartphone.
0: I would love to see that one with the, uh, Keyboard you were talking about with the e-ink keyboard. I bet that was really cool. E-ink was another invention that I read about early on and felt like it was going to change everything. And so that's the reason that I bought a Nook originally because they used an e-ink screen. It just goes to show that I am not maybe the best person to predict technology trends. <laughs> but...
1: I, I think it's it's still around. It, it certainly is active for certain things and. Um still has its uses, it's just it it didn't take over the way, certainly that I thought also
0: Yeah, and I remember my last phone pre-smartphone was one of those ones that you opened it up sideways and it had a little teeny tiny mini keyboard in there Oh. and I specifically got that phone because Twitter had just come out and I wanted to be able to to send tweets, and I could type faster <laughs> with that little mini keyboard in my little mini sideways flip phone
1: well but... well the article it seems to be really the the focus of it seems to be on this tap system, which seems looks a little bit like almost like a a set of rings that you put on, and it detects i guess it detects a, a series of taps and is set up so that. It the ratio of the how common each uh, symbol and letter is corresponds to how complicated the tap is, and I think that's the, you know makes a lot of sense from an algorithmically driven sort of an engineer being like, yes, let's make this better than the qwerty. I'll set it up so that it properly follows all the the tendencies that we have. And something that, that this article brings up is that that may seem ideal, but at the same time, we are very used to having this one finger, one key method of typing. And so it could actually make us more worn out to have a, a, a more algorithmically optimized set of, of keys.
0: In the article, the writer talks about trying to learn to use tap And learning the finger combinations to be able to type with it and so I tried it out myself I mean I don't have the device but I was trying tapping with my fingers saying okay what if I you know had to tap these three fingers to make this letter and so on and then I realized it would just be so much simpler to use the American Sign Language signs if I were spelling out words because that's what my hands wanted to do And it made me wonder why they didn't choose that. I mean, maybe it's faster to tap, and part of the idea behind this was that you couldn't see what people are typing like you can (laughs) if you look over someone's shoulder on a regular keyboard. Right. And I guess if, if you knew sign language, you could see what someone was signing, but that seems to me like an untapped invention is something that would convert ASL into... Words on a screen.
1: No, no pun intended with the uh, untapped. Yes. <laughs> well, that is something that I thought of also. That where a number of the alternative inputs that I've read about over the years have been specifically for people who cannot use a QWERTY keyboard for whatever reason. You know, there's all of the the dragon, naturally speaking, and that on, on one end of the scale, all the way to the, the kind of system that Stephen Hawking used where there's sort of the eye, the eye movement tracking, or there's, um, I remember there were a number of things that were made for Nintendo. And I think there were the same ones that are used for alternative driving accommodations where there's sort of a sucking and blowing in a tube, sip and blow in order to, uh, sip, yes. Yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense. the the, the It would make a lot of sense to, to go to the people who've had to do something else. There's, pro- there's probably been a lot of innovation on that front, but I can imagine if you're coming in at fresh as an engineer, like I'll just do it from whole cloth and not pay any attention to what's been done before, and this is the system I came up with.
0: You know, it strikes me now that you bring it up, that there really isn't anything about accessibility in this article that I can recall. And it seems to me if you want to get away from QWERTY keyboards or examine what has been done to get away from the standard keyboard, that looking at accessible devices for typing or communicating would be a great way to go, like you said. But I know the focus of the article is maybe more on the standard keyboard and why everybody who doesn't have a you know a physical reason not to use it um, is still using it yes
1: so i i was curious what your reaction was to it was almost an aside where it sort of says this uh discussion of of the possibility you know the the sort of almost as an urban myth as an urban legend that the reason why the qwerty keyboard was set up was to avoid jamming and it, it sort of presents that almost as a, that not being the case. And of course, that that's what I've always been taught. So it was interesting to see that uh, an alternative presentation of that.
0: Yes, that was interesting. And another article that I found seems to bolster that. Um, there's a really long article in Reason about typing and about the QWERTY keyboard and it focuses mostly on sort of busting the myths behind its dominance and its competitors and why people who say that it's not great or wrong. But it lends credence to the belief that the people who created it, it wasn't just an accident that it is so much faster to type on because different letter arrangements in studies have been shown to not really be as fast when they created QWERTY, and I hadn't realized that these people were typesetters, so they knew a lot about frequency of letters and which letters might be confused for each other or which ones might you know, be next to each other. And it turns out that at least for English, it makes sense to have them in the order we have them. There's, uh, I don't know if it mentions it in this article, there's the Dvorak keyboard, which is was created in 1936 and it's a different arrangement of letters and Dvorak wanted to prove that his keyboard was faster so that he could sell it to the government and make more money and so he engineered a bunch of studies showing how people could type faster with his keyboard but it turns out that his studies were all rigged (laughs) and and the, the Navy figured that out so they did not end up buying the Dvorak keyboard although there are still people who use that keyboard and you can still buy it and some people claim they can type better on it
1: yeah this this article only i I noted that it it only mentioned it briefly and, and mentioned that it was developed in 1936 but i remember as a kid the discussion of oh are you going to learn qwerty are you going to learn dvorak at least in in certain magazines that was presented as a real option
0: and i can understand why it might work better for some people for example Um, depending on your own hand size or finger length or whatever, finger strength, a different arrangement might be better for you personally, even if the majority of people seem to find Cordy
1: useful. Mm -hmm. So one of the other uh, systems that this did not mention, which I, I thought you might have some comments about, is the palm gestures. Oh yes. <laughs> is that that really became for the the brief shining moment that palm pilots were everywhere, that really became a thing.
0: Well, it's not too different in my mind from shorthand, where you use shorthand is really a way of using gestures, except that you write them with a pen to for words and it's kind of the same thing really. just it's something that you need to learn a special language to learn and i can see how it would be useful and i don't know i mean i think something like that is not ever really going to go away even if you know specifically palm gestures is not used anymore and shorthand is used less and less often there's still i think there's still a lot of utility in a gestural language just because you won't always, if a keyboard's not there, I can see how it would be useful.
1: Mm-hmm. That, re- that, that just now reminded me there was, I think it was one of the James Bond movies, which I know you uh, ended up seeing most of. There was, wasn't there a uh, sort of a yellow journalist, like like yellow news, like fake news journalist, who? was in one of the James Bond movies and he had his own sort of setup, very much like this tap system.
0: I don't recall. That's not a detail I remember particularly from any of those movies, but...
1: I think I may have even seen it with you. There was one, it was like a submarine and there was this journalist and he was typing away like mad with his independently, each hand independently.
0: I think I do remember that. I think I vaguely remember that. It's kind of a similar thing. I'm looking at the article, and it says that there's another one similar to tap that's called guest or jest, probably, short for gesture. So they're clearly not the only ones making finger-based typing devices.
1: The other... uh the device itself reminded me of the also going back to nintendo the the nintendo power glove oh
0: yes yes did you Which, ever have one of those
1: no no it was it was pretty expensive and i mean i i remember seeing i think it was the wizard with with fred savage and that was like a, a 90 minute advertisement for nintendo but I remember that there was there was a scene with the power glove, and it was like, ooh, that's the coolest thing. But then, yeah. if you actually read about it, it, was like, well, it turns out it, it doesn't work that well. It, it just looked really cool, and you know, cost a hundred bucks or something back in whenever that was.
0: There was so much technology that seemed like it was going to be cool and was ridiculously expensive and buggy, just around the turn of the century. I know that one thing that we see sometimes in um, sci-fi or I, th- I think someone has even created one is the keyboard that is a projection keyboard that projects mm-hmm. onto things where you know people can just type on any surface and it says in here that uh, those don't always work very well in practice because you have to have a very flat clean surface for that, which kind of defeats the purpose.
1: <laughs> I, I guess it, it depends on, on how it is that it's detecting those, your finger movements.
0: Yes. And a lot of people don't like typing on things that don't give some tactile feedback. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the problem with the alternative keyboards, not just the, the tap rings or the projection ones but um, anything where you're not pushing down and receiving some sort of acknowledgement that you've pushed a key i know that's something people complained about on the smartphones is it didn't feel like you were typing and so people turn on the clicks or leave the clicks on on their smartphones (laughs) and ignore other people
1: (laughs) Yeah, or even just the uh, the vibrate, which I, I know now. Anytime I get a new phone, you have to usually there's two places you have to turn off the the vibrate, so that uh, it's clear that you're really saying I do not want that extra random, uh, fee- unnecessary feedback when I when I press something.
0: I actually like the feedback on the keyboard. It somehow makes it a little more satisfying to type on.
1: Oh, like a real keyboard for sure oh yeah, I, the, no the, i mean uh,
0: on the smartphone keyboard i, oh. I, I leave it on <laughs> you know just okay. that that slight little at least on on the current iphone that well the iphone 8 which is the current one i have it's just that slight little bump that makes it feel like you're pushing something it's improved over older models
1: i i've never um oh, okay it, maybe it's, it's gotten better i've always felt anytime i've I know it, it resets, and you still feel the uh, the vibration if it's uh, being turned on or something. But I always associate that with. It feels almost like I'm I'm jabbing a little creature, and it's it's trying to get away or something. I don't know. It, it just feels <laughs> very odd. Well,
0: I know some people really like their clicky or their mechanical keyboards, and
1: that I understand. And,
0: yes, and I don't really necessarily need that. I'm happy with very minimal physical feedback. I can just feel the key press down a little bit and that's all I need. But there's a huge market for the what they call the clicky keyboards. And I actually when I was looking for the article on that old mobile keyboard that I couldn't find, I accidentally came across another article all about the IBM Model M keyboard which is apparently the holy grail of clicky keyboards, and this article in The Verge is about a guy who buys and restores old IBM keyboards and people will pay lots of money for them because they're apparently, to some people, just the best, most solid, best feeling keyboards ever made.
1: It's kind of like the, the Blackwing pencil that people are you know, if, if if you are a highly productive coder or writer, and you're most productive on that particular keyboard, then it is really worth a lot.
0: Yes, it says in the article that um, Notch, the guy who created Minecraft, prefers the IBM Model M. But I will tell you that if you work in an open plan office, clicky keyboards are really annoying, because all you can hear is clack, 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 clack.
1: Yes, yes. Now the the far other end of the scale, I would say, would might be like with the a, an iPad or a, a Surface, where you have the the uh, the cover is the keyboard. Now, those I really feel like there's absolutely no feedback whatsoever, and that I find kind of tough.
0: Yes, I I can't type on an iPad. I have to connect. A keyboard to it an actual keyboard because it's that lack of feedback and that lack of depth too it just feels like my fingers are going to slide off the keys and i'm not sure i've pressed the right thing
1: yeah it just feels sort of inert you, you don't really know if, if you've had the response and it's just that you have to end up waiting for the character to appear to really know whether the press that you've made did something yes and that kind of goes to this, uh, the other thing that it talks about in this article, about the direct neuro input, maybe from an arm twitching or something like that.
0: Yeah, there's the two. There's the one that's the neural input that you wear around your head that's uh, neurable, that you're supposed to be able to type with your mind just by thinking about it. And then there's the other one that is the device that goes, it's an armband that's supposed to be able to be a new sort of gaming controller where you can just, it says it detects the activity of muscle fibers in the arm. And that looks promising, actually. I think that one is really interesting, and I'm curious to see how that evolves. Of course, it's very much a prototype right now.
1: It it seems my my guess is that in order to make these things work, there's so much computation behind them. And they it mentions that, you know, oh we we'll be really happy if we get up to fourteen words a minute, which just seems preposterously slow for a, a keyboard. Yeah. And maybe that's really you know, if you can't move anything at all, that would be a huge improvement, of course, but um just in terms of the speed of input I, I wonder if it's the the user is only able to uh, make a clear signal that frequently, or if the problem is that it's relying on such complex computation to detect something that it's, it is just hopelessly slow.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, our brains are pretty fast, but somewhere in there something's making it difficult to do that. And I have to wonder if it isn't simpler to do text-to-speech. I guess if you can't speak, then that is a a great way to get information across, um, if you really are locked in, possibly. But for a lot of these, text-to-speech is a is a really effective way to type, and it's a technology that exists now and is getting better. Yeah, That's I, actually I... what a friend of mine who is a programmer, and he uh, worked for Google for many years and developed very severe carpal tunnel, and so by the time he got to management level, he or senior developer level, and he was doing more managing than programming, he completely switched to text-to-speech because his carpal tunnel was so bad.
1: And, of course, the, the, the pop culture embodiment of that is the the movie Her.
0: Yes. Now, did you see that movie? I've only seen the
1: previews for it. Oh, okay. I I did watch it, and it is... I think it's worth seeing now more than it was when it was first made, just in terms of um, the the, the concept being a world where everybody has a supercomputer in their pocket and the primary interface is by a voice
0: and that doesn't seem like such a weird idea now and I guess it was more radical when it first came out and it just seemed it seemed like a maybe silly isn't the right word but it seemed like an overdramatic idea to me that someone would fall in love with the uh basically the Siri or the Alexa on their computer. But now that you have people who are truly interacting with these voices, frankly, I don't know how because they don't understand me, but apparently there are people they do understand. And um, it, it doesn't seem so crazy. And like I said, text-to-speech really does work well for me. And so, yeah, that I'll have to give that a second look. We do really... Seem to be developing, in some cases, rather unhealthy relationships with our phones, and so that describes the sort of you know, the sort of relationship we might be having in a way that people could find potentially find alarming, I guess, or understand in a way other than just plain old, you know, addiction or obsession. And
1: that, that's a that's a uh, an important aspect to bring in on it in terms of you know this is very much about the input and what what's the most efficient or what's the most convenient and what do we end up learning you know much much of it is about how whatever we start with and we're kind of stuck in that loop we recreate the social imprint that we've we've learned but there is this question about if we do have more efficient inputs or does that mean that we use the computer less or we use the computer more well
0: i can tell you my 9 year old uses uses speech as often as he can and this is somebody who you know is young really can't type that well i mean he can type but not as efficiently as he can speak and so he naturally uses speech input when he wants to look something up or if he wants to c- contact his friends, it's texting takes too long. You know, it's, it's faster to just you know, send him a quick message via whatever app.
1: Oh, that's, that's takes incredibly <laughs> interesting. I, I hadn't heard about, uh, cause I always think of texting as being the quick way that young people converse with each other, but for the set that is not yet, uh, a fast typer that they would send each other little voice messages because that's faster and easier. That's really interesting.
0: Well, it would be more like FaceTime. That's what I was trying to think of either FaceTime or discord and it would just be, you know, FaceTiming someone to say, Hey, blah, 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 talk for maybe a second and then hang up. So it's really like a phone call. And if they text, they're using emojis or symbols, they're rarely using actual words, which of course brings up the question of how much longer are we going to need a QWERTY keyboard with its current configuration, with all the letters and the numbers and the uh, shift keys and how soon is it going to be before we need to add emojis (laughs) to a physical keyboard, you know?
1: I, well, I think I think we're very much, you know, just like already. If uh, if you're typing in a symbolic language like Chinese or Japanese, you're already, I think, mostly typing in the the syllables or something, and then selecting from the results that pop up. And that's very much. I know if I'm sending a a, a GIF or some sort of Unusual emoji. I, I will just type in the name of the thing that I want to send and then I'll select it.
0: And that brings up, again, the type ahead or the word suggestion, which is something else that affects how we type. And while that doesn't get rid of the keyboard, it does change the speed and the method by which we type.
1: It, uh, potentially. I don't, I don't, I think it, it almost can be the other way around, too, where it can, especially if you uh, grow up on it, it might be more of an influence on on even the, the word choices, because certainly I I know that maybe I just don't have the right software or something, but it never, ever guesses what I want to type next.
0: I find that, too. Now, occasionally, if I'm typing a really simple text message, like, I'm going to be late, if I type, I'm G-O, it'll suggest going, That's right, and then I can pretty much select out to be and and late is one of the very early on choices. So something simple and common like that, but I agree a lot of the things that I type out. If I'm typing a comment or tweeting about something, it rarely (laughs) knows what I'm going to say. That's a good question. I wonder how it will affect people's language if they get used to seeing these suggestions.
1: I'll just become uh, whatever it is, Markov chain generators.
0: (laughs) Well, it's kind of like everybody adopting their grammar rules from Microsoft Word. As you type, (laughs) it suggests shouldn't you have an and here? Shouldn't you put a comma here? Okay, I will.
1: The things it catches unnecessarily, and the things it doesn't catch, that hits a little too close to uh, home sometimes. In terms yeah. of what I encounter,
0: so are you ready to give up your QWERTY keyboard, or do you want to keep it?
1: I put in the hours. I don't know if I've put in 10,000 hours to become a true expert, but I've put in my hours. I played all the the typing games and uh, in the computer lab when I was a kid. That was that was the other thing I noticed. the The idea that third graders should be proficient on a on a keyboard. I don't think it was that early although I, I could be wrong
0: that's an interesting thing to think about I don't remember when I started playing that typing game with the little spaceship blowing up the words but it was it might have been around I, I know fourth grade was when I started doing sort of keyboarding and computer stuff in school I don't remember doing it before then it might have been about then And now, third grade is when they're expected to start using computers regularly in school. Maybe fourth grade. Forgetting. But fourth grade, they definitely use it a lot, at least in our school district. But they still have to handwrite things, which my kids hate. (laughs) They can't wait to be able to type everything. Once you get to middle school, you can turn in things online. You can type in online Microsoft Word and send it directly to your your teacher, but in elementary school, you still have to write by hand. One last thing I wanted to mention is this keyboard that sits in front of me every time I'm podcasting, because if we're talking about QWERTY keyboards, I think it is an example of why the QWERTY keyboard is not going anywhere. It is sort of a, if not a Rolls Royce of keyboards, it is at least A BMW. (laughs) (laughs) This is a Corsair mechanical gaming keyboard that my 12-year-old saved. Yes. It has two USB cables that plug into the back of the computer. And it's, like I said, it's mechanical, so it's faster. And it has programmable keys and programmable key combinations. And it will let you... Type an infinite number of keys at the same time and you can replace some of the keys with special little um, key tops that it comes with and it lights up in different colors I mean this thing is way fancy and the (laughs) fact that a 12 year old would save up his allowance money to buy a keyboard I think shows (laughs) the permanence of these devices at least for a while
1: You said, as you mentioned, it's reprogrammable now, but I I remember the early days of of gaming when uh, if you didn't have a a QWERTY keyboard, those key mappings were going to be pretty difficult.
0: Yes, and they still kind of depend on that. I mean, I can see where he has replaced the up and right arrow with the W and D letters because, you know, that's very often those left, right, up, and down mm-hmm. correspond to letters sometimes.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Artist Materialist. You can find us on the web at artistmaterialist.com. It helps us out to spread the audience if you rate us, especially on Apple Podcasts, and share with a friend who is also an aficionado of the written word.